millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I want to talk about me. want to talk about I. want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions that focuses on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today, we're thrilled to have Jan Winburn join us on the podcast. Jan recently left CNN after years as the narrative slash investigative editor. Before that, she worked at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Before that, she worked at the Baltimore Sun. Before that, she worked at the Hartford Current. Before that, I don't know. Um, She's now a full-time consultant and teacher, teaches the narrative program at the University of Georgia. She's also available for coaching, so we highly recommend you give her a call. Jan not only graciously agreed to come on the podcast, but she comes with an intriguing subject. Today's topic the I can, the I being you, listener. So I'm going to let her explain kind of the transition from print to online journalism and how she learned to become more comfortable with reporters putting themselves into stories. Um, so when I came to CNN in 2009, um, there were occasions where reporters were putting themselves in stories. And I started seeing how those stories would blow up online. Now, I was new to online journalism, so I wasn't sure how much of it was kind of an online phenomenon, how much of it was just something that was catching on. You know, we'd had that whole period where memoir had been so huge and people were just lapping that up. And so I started trying to look at, well, and and then I was raised in journalism school that you never put yourself in a story. And so it was different in that way. And I just started looking at when did it make sense to put yourself in a story? And not only was it okay, but maybe even called for. Now, why were they doing it so often? Was that just because so mag- magazine journalists did it more often? It. That's yeah. always been sort of a the dividing that's line. That's really true. Um, I think a lot of them were journey stories. So, you know, that's yeah. the most obvious sort of time. Like you, you're taking the reader on a journey. Um, and so you're you're kind of in it anyway, and maybe there's a little bit of transparency by going ahead and putting yourself, because that's the other thing that was really happening a lot was this demand for transparency in journalism. Um, I'm thinking of a story um, one of my colleagues, Wayne Drash, did. There were these two guys who decided they were at Ramadan, they were going to go all over the country during Ramadan. And this was, of course, still during the backlash against Muslims after 9-11. So he put himself in a car with these two Muslims, um, and a black photographer joined them. So you had a (laughs) white Southerner, a black photographer, and two um, Muslims, and they went all over the Southeast. And... Things were happening to them, partly because of, like, 
who they were. What you know, they were this melting pot, this traveling melting pot, and they were witnessing some of the things that happened to Muslims in this country. But they were also being um, kind of looked at themselves as part of this traveling group. So I think the journey story was an obvious way, reason people were doing it. Um, another one I can remember was um, there was some group that said the end of the world was here, and they were traveling the country to warning people that the end of the world was coming on a certain date. And we put a reporter on the bus with those people. So some of it was that need to be transparent. It's just to sort of say, yes, I'm here, um, and here's who I am. Here's what I'm bringing to this equation. So I, I saw a lot of that. <clears throat> I, I haven't really thought of it that way. I but like the transparency thing. Because I think Lane and I were talking about this topic earlier. Like we were not raised in this school. And it feels very weird to throw the reporter into the story unless the reporter is the story. Unless it's a first person thing, right? Yeah, it seems like there was a much bigger dividing line. Either it's a first person story about me or it's a story I'm reporting about somebody else. And, and <clears> down to the point that I remember feeling like my notepad was a shield. You know, yeah. I have, it's my cloak of invisibility. Like, I'm not here, right. you know. Now, it didn't mean, this, especially also when I started writing narrative, I was writing down my own observations and insights and thoughts. And some of those made it into, into the paper. But it wasn't as me, I didn't think, right? right? right. So, I, I, I'm, yeah, I have a real hard time with that. And, and I know... I'm 52 years old, so I grew up in a different era, but it seems like it's changing. I like the transparency idea behind it, too, that we, because I think we get a lot of grief from millennials in the newsroom who feel like we're not transparent enough, that part of our problem is that we haven't explained to readers what it is we do, and, you know, Uh, so, yeah. but, But like you, I started thinking, I mean, we've all seen it done badly. We've seen stories where, the focus shifts away from the actual subject onto the reporter, and they just <laughs> overshadow everything. <clears throat> so I we won't name names, but looking. you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so I started looking at like, well, when does it work, and what purpose does it have? So transparency seemed like one of them. Another one was universality. You know, we we talk about that, especially with narrative. We're always looking for what's that big theme. You know, what's the universal takeaway. And um, sometimes you would see a reporter write a story where they had had a similar experience, and it seemed to me that, like, that was often the universal piece. Um, I'm thinking of a story that um, a religion reporter wrote. He was on a train that derailed and killed people, but he got off the stop before it happened. So as a religion reporter, this was Daniel Burke at CNN, he started asking the questions we would all ask, like, why was I spared from that? And he had the idea that he would start to investigate that a little bit. So he was talking about a universal subject, you know, that this idea that um, there but for the grace of God. And I think that was an instance in which it, it really seemed to work because he was talking about the big universal story. Now you could have, of course, I mean, you could have gone and found somebody who was on the stop with him. Experience. The same, Absolutely. the same, right? And, and we've talked about that when I mean, it's, and you've had editors turn to you and say, look, stop talking about it. You're living it. Go ahead and do it. Because why bother trying to go track somebody down? In his case, it felt like it was a, 
like he not only experienced it, but he was a religion reporter. Exactly. So it was like he it needed was like to the, follow that yeah, story. It was like right? okay, yeah. it was like why did I survive? I have yeah. to make sense of this myself. So and you've if, gotten you've gotten very comfortable with it. I'm totally comfortable with it. I I still feel that I um, want to put up like a, a, some questions in my head when a reporter says, "I think I'm going to be in this story." There's things I want I want to know why. You know, what is it about your experience, your history? Um, I think ultimately what the use of the first person can do is bring something to a story that the reporting alone can't bring. Okay, so that's to me the highest purpose. If putting yourself in there means you have some knowledge or experience or history or memory that coalesces around this thing you're reporting, then that's something you can bring that the reporting alone may may not. Um, And I think the best example of that was a story that was turned into me without the first person in it. And I started asking questions. And that was a story um, Moni Basu wrote. She wanted to go to India um, it was just during a time when there was all these headlines about this horrible rape in Delhi. And this woman, <clears throat> was she died from what happened to her. And there was going to be a trial. And Moni remembered growing up there, um, she actually remembered the case in the 70s that had changed the law in India, a woman's rape. And she started wondering about what happened to her. Where, where was she? It was literally 40 years. <clears throat> her name was Matara. And she said, I don't even know if it's her real name. That was the name reported at the time. I want to go try to find her. And she also said, I don't like the way we cover rape in India. It's all, you know, India gets painted with all these extreme stories. And she said, I want to tell, you know, the, the deep story behind that um, particular crime in my home country. So did that start as a journey story? It, it did. It started as a, I'm going to go find this woman who made headlines it did. years ago, but not a personal story. No, not a personal story at all. Did and she share her personal story with you early on or no? No. No. So what happened was she went and she found Matara and she wrote the story. And she does take you through the countryside in search of her, but not using the first person, just your descriptive, you know, I-E-Y-E. So she turned the story into me, and it was oddly distant for her. I was, like, reading it going, wow, this is different. Um, Moni is a very passionate writer. She had a lot of passion about this assignment. I mean, you know, it was a sell to say, oh, we're going to go to India and find this woman from 40 years ago. So That'll be like, another podcast. How to, <laughs> how to convince your editors to send you, on, you know, on, on that kind of a journey. <laughs> wow, jeez. <laughs> but it was just this kind of distant draft, and I didn't know what to make of it. And I said, hey, let's go get some coffee. And I've known Moni for <laughs> 15 years. We worked together at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and then again at CNN. And I just thought, you know, I just started kind of like, well, so tell me, um, now how old were you when when the Matara rape was in the news? And she was telling me how old she was. And then I said, 
and were you still in India or, or were you in the States? And she said, oh, no, no, I was in the States. And finally, I just said, well, somehow this story has a lot of distance. And I, I, I've, I'm asking you questions about you and that news because it's part of how you sold me the story is like, I remember this. This was life-changing for Indian women. And I said, but you're, you're very distant in this story. I can't, I, I don't know what's going on. And she just got this look on her face, and I stopped. And she said, okay, I've never told this to anybody, which included her, um, her brother, her, um, I think, actually, I think maybe she had told her husband at one time. And I think that was the only person. And she said, I was raped. And it happened to me in college. And I, and I just sat there. And the editor in me wanted to say, you have to put that in the story. <laughs> That's it. And the person who has known this writer for 15 years thought how I respond to this is going to determine my relationship with her and I don't want to screw that up and so I I just was you know I said oh okay and then she said I know I feel kind of like the story's not real because I never reveal that and I said, well, I don't know that it's not real, but certainly you had something in common with this woman you sought out that's very A lot powerful. in common, the culture, too, and the Every backdrop. Yeah. And I said, I think you should think about it. And she was, she was ahead of me, which was good for me. She's like, yeah, I know, and I, I have to talk to a bunch of people. I have to tell people before I could ever write it and put it into the world, and I'm going to think about it. And then she did. She went and methodically sort of told the people she felt she needed to tell, and then she put herself in the story. And she said to me, I don't want to take away from Matara's story. I, I'm going to put myself in there, but I do not want it to overwhelm the story that I went, went to get. And I think if you read the story, she did that beautifully because it's only hinted at in the beginning. It's sort of hinted at in the middle. And then only at the end does she come and say, you know, she tells you what's in her head, that she's looking at Matra and she's thinking, I remember, too. You know, I remember these details of my rape. Um, and, you know, what's interesting, most interesting to me about that story is after we pretty much got it the way we thought it should be, we shared it with some other editors. And almost without fail, male editors wanted her to put more in the story about her own rape. Mm. And we both just said, we're not doing that. But I Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I don't know where that, what that's about. I don't know if it's a gender thing or if it was just another type of reader, but it was interesting. They all wanted to know more about that part of the story. And I think she and I both felt like, no, it was in there kind of in the perfect measure. Um, and to do more would to would to be would sort of like take a hard turn. That would be your fear, wouldn't it? That you would take over, you would kind of take away from somebody's story, somebody else's story. Absolutely, and and that it's a little bit pejorative to feel like my story is your story because she did a good job about that, pointing out the cultural differences too. And I think one of the big, um, I mean, the similarities of growing up, but also the, the classism. I think, yes. and and one of my surprise moment takeaway from that story was when she basically said, maybe poverty and ignorance saved her. In, in a way that it couldn't do for me, you know? Well, she didn't say not for me, I don't think, but she said, but not for the woman in Delhi mm-hmm. who had become such right. a cause celeb and who was from an upper caste, right? Right, so that, that had a nice um, acknowledgement, you know? But I did wonder why she saved her own story to so near the bottom, and that makes sense the way you say that, that it was all about Madara until you got to that point. Yeah. I knew that was coming. I told Maria, I said, I knew that was coming, that she was going to have this, like, reveal. Because I also thought, well, then why didn't she put it in like an editor's note, you know, or something yeah. in italics at the beginning, like this happened to me too, so I set out to find her. But then you would have always been wondering about the reporter's story. story. Would, and I get that. And it feels more it. natural to come up as you're talking to Facing the, her. Yeah, and, you're, right. and then it brings, obviously it brings up your own situation. Do you know if she and shared that with Madara? Did she share her own experience? She did not. She didn't, okay. She did not, and I think she reveals that the way she words yeah. it in the end. I What I wish I could have told her was. Right. But if you read the very beginning of that story, that story begins by her comparing when Matara was raped, what age Matara was, and what age she was. Right. But she's also sort of setting it up. She's doing it in such a way that if you go back and read it, you realize she can be also talking about how old was she when she was raped. Mm-hmm. So she says, you know, Matara was 16, you know, 18, I was 16. You know, she talks about it. It's you know, it's, it's very light motif, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think there's another place in the middle where she kind of walks up to it. She talks about um, how rape can change your life no matter what culture you're in. And she, so she seems very knowledgeable there, right? Um, but, yeah, I think if she'd done it in some editor's note kind of way, it would have seemed, it, it just sort of would have... Uh, quickly put the spotlight on the reporter right right and it would have been distraction i I think think so too i think so i like the other thing about that story that she um i think in a way as to an american audience maybe especially you're coming into this culture that's that's foreign to a lot of us and so having somebody kind of taking us on that ride who understands it albeit she she acknowledges the differences between her world and and the characters world but I I felt like it helped me to understand the place and the setting and to feel like yeah Yeah. somebody was taking me along for the ride too. Which was really one of her objectives because I think one of the reasons she felt so much passion that she wanted to go there and find her was the way she felt the press and particularly the western press was writing about this topic in India as though you know those 
savages or something, you know, those people. And it, it was so, like, you don't really, you don't understand, like, what the culture is there, what the values are. And, and the fact that they had, they had fought about, they had fought against it, right? Like, Matra's rape had changed the laws in India to make it a crime for the first time. And that was the reason these guys in, who had raped the woman in Delhi were even being, you know, put to trial. So I that was so I'm you, glad to hear you say that because I think it's really one of her objectives. Yeah, well. no, I I think it was very helpful because I mean we we were talking, we read this story and we were talking about different stories we've read where the reporters experience um you know, it felt sort of tangential to the story. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel and then you kind of feel a little manipulated like why why are you doing that? Why do I need you? You know, there's right there, when it when it really feels like the reporter didn't need to be there or um I don't know. For me mm-hmm. it was always like are they a character or is there, or is there something really meaningful? They have to be a character because I don't know, you're writing about somebody and you're off somewhere and you're the only person they're having dialogue with or, and then we talk about how much we dance around it sometimes, you know? Yeah. I'd like to ask about that for a minute. Like the times when, when your reporter is in the story, but they're not really a character. They're just there to say like, I knocked on some doors. I uncovered some things. I, I had this happen to me. Like I, I got a lot of flack the first time. My editor, my old editor, made me put myself in a story about Evil Knievel, and he was a big dick, and he was screaming and yelling at me and drinking beer at first thing he in the morning. He made Lane and, and, cry, and he made me cry. Evil Knievel made Lane cry. It was and terrible. Your editor had you put that. And my in. editor said, "Well, you're you're standing in for anybody who would have knocked on this guy's door at eleven o'clock on a Tuesday." You know, so we went back and forth between is it me, is it I, is it a journalist, is it a Tampa Bay Times mm-hmm. reporter, and I think we landed on the visitor, and I got so much shit for that. I got so many, like, what are you, chicken? Like, why don't you just put yourself in there? Yeah, we know you're the visitor, you know? That's interesting. And one of our re- young reporters this week wrote a story where she said, a Tampa Bay Times reporter. And it was like, could it just be I? Yeah. You know, what do you do in a case like that? Like, we're so, so we're so not used to that, though. We are not, not in, like, I guess magazine writers are used yes. to that, but mainstream media, you know, typical... News, uh, newspaper journalists were just... Yeah. There should be a right way to do so, that, though, right? But it seems so formal to me to say a Tampa Bay Times reporter. It's like, you know, I think one of the things I felt like I saw online was this was this effort to get rid of newsbot language, get rid of that formal newsbot, you know, that we use. And, and that's what that is. I mean, I have to say, when I joined the investigative team... I fought like hell. I didn't want to say CNN has found. I'm like, really? That is so 1970, right? It's like read any of the, you know, current online investigative sites. And it's like, no, they're people telling you what they found. It's not like CNN has found. But like I lost that battle over and over again. But I tried. But it's like it's so you're trying to get away from the detachment. Yes. That we have built into what we do. I mean, we have built a detachment. Which I think has created a lot of the suspicion of us, right? Because, like, who are you people, right? Tell us who you are. You know, that doesn't negate what you've learned, what you've found. That actually helps me know something about you. You're human beings, you know, doing that. It gives some context. But, but I think, but I th- so, so the evil Knievel thing... So I'm kind of like your editor. I would have, I want to know how that guy behaved. And I think to just have said, here's how he treated me, 
would have just been a simple way, almost by saying the visitor, you know, again, it kind of brought more attention to it maybe than it would have. But, you know, I'm thinking about something, you know, I, um, a lot of my career was spent in Sunday magazines. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I worked so you for got the more comfortable. Philadelphia Inquirer Sunday Magazine and later the Hartford Current Sunday Magazine. So I do think that magazine influence was probably always there for me. I can't say that I did a lot of first-person stories, but when I went to CNN was when I started to notice um, how it was being done you know, also, we all ran from it for a while. It was done so bad. And then you also, we had the, <laughs> the memoir era mm-hmm. where we had, uh, you know, James Fry, a million little pieces, you know, almost a million of which were false. Made up. <laughs> made up. And so I think there's, you know, we're always sort of reacting and to, to whatever is in the sphere at the time and going back and forth a little bit. I remember... Um, I mean, narrative certainly went through that, right? Like there was that period where we had made-up narrative stories, um, and the Jimmy's Pulitzer World, board, yeah. Jimmy's World. Um, what was the one after that? I, I, but you know, the narrative, um, the Pulitzer board for a while was like very skeptical of this kind of writing, right? It was pretty lame. Well, we we looked up how many like first-person. Pulitzer stories have been, and there's been a handful of them, you know, whether it was a a dad investigating his daughter's murder, you know, or or, uh, Howard Raines with the Grady's gift, talking about his maid, their their domestic lady. How about, did um, did Gene Weingarten put himself in the subway uh, story? I feel like he was the Wizard of Oz in that okay. story. He was like the man behind the curtain, okay. and it was acknowledged he was making it happen and That's setting him up, but I he don't think he himself, was in it. He puts himself in the, I think he puts himself in the hot car, leaving your kid in a hot car. He was in a note about that, yeah, because I think his wife was a prosecutor or a something, some, a, a lawyer in one of those, yeah, okay. it was in a note. So what? how do you decide, so a reporter is coming to you, well, in that case, you obviously kind of Went th- you you turned the side and pushed her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but so um, is it a lot of times is the reporter coming to you and saying, um, I feel like it's more effective with myself or just that that's become part of your conversation? I think it just becomes part of the conversation. And and so when I said there's, you're going on a journey, I doesn't mean every journey you should put yourself in, but, but you might think about it in that instance. Because you might not be the most interesting character, but maybe you are. <laughs> but and then Moni Moni's story was obviously that was uh, an example of where your your experience, your cultural heritage, all was a reason that you might consider putting yourself in. I think another one that was really interesting and not foreseen by me or the writer was um, a story that uh, John Sutter wrote about. Uh, going to Mauritania, the last country on earth to outlaw slavery. And what happened to him there was, uh, so he's a white man, and uh, he was, it took him nine months to get into Mauritania, and um, Mauritania claimed to have outlawed slavery, but it still exists there. And he was warned that if he... uh, that if he did any interviewing around slavery, that he would either be jailed or thrown out of the country. So he was having to do a lot of 
reporting in the dark of night and surreptitiously. But what happened was a woman who was an escaped slave and her daughter, he asked them a question that put him in the story. And the question they, he asked them was, what did your master look like? It was like he had talked to them a lot about all their whole story, and this was just sort of toward the end. He's like making, you know, that moment where you're like making sure you've asked everything you're possibly going to need. And he said, well, can you describe him? What did he look like? And there was this silence. And then the woman said, he looked like you. And for John, (laughs) it was a moment where he sort of thought, okay, so what responsibility do we all have? all of us white people, for slavery. And so he came back. He had a different ending to that story, and um, it just wasn't working. And I said, you should free write. Just go free write the ending. Like, just go write. Just write, 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 write. Don't think. And he wrote, and he ended up writing about that. And that's not the actual penultimate, I think, you know, words to the story, but it's right in that very ending. Um, And I started, so again, when I was putting together my sort of like, okay, when do you use it? I thought like, well, when something happens that puts you in the story. So your evil Knievel example, to me, you, I mean, yes or no, you could argue that both ways, but I think your editor was thinking, hey, Put yourself there because what happened to you speaks to something much larger, right? Exactly. And that's what it would need to be. Is, is Was your slavery guy, was that the only time he was in the story? Because I love the ending. You sent the ending and I read it, but I didn't read the whole story. I think he uses a little first person because of the circumstances in which he got there. It's not heavily first person. But, like, we had to say that, you know, one, he's there, He's told right at the get-go, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. So there's some of, there's a little bit of it that it's just, you had to put it yourself in there for that reason. It's not a lot of it, but. I like that. Just go write, don't think. I like <laughs> Free writing. Don't you wish you had more editors in the world who would just tell you, just go write, don't think. I wish I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, if you have a question for Jan, we'll get it to her and try to get you an answer. If you have a question for Lane or want to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Thanks, Jan, for being with us. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Marta Asensio Ryan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. I want to talk about me, want to talk about I, want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 usually. But occasionally, I want to talk about me. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.